Good morning, happy 2018 River Church, and uh, my name's Bill, I've met a lot of you, but I'm part of the teaching team here, one of the pastors at the River, and it is an honor, it's a privilege to be able to uh, direct us to the scriptures, to start 2018 well, and uh, you're looking fantastic, uh, 2018's wearing well on all of you, it's awesome, yeah, you're welcome, so you know, as a pastor, uh, one of my greatest privileges and honor has been to officiate a lot of weddings, a lot of weddings, and uh, it's so cool to be able to do that. I consider being a pastor, standing right there, facilitating this marriage ceremony to be the best seat in the house, you know, because here's the bride and groom. I mean, they are just glowing and so excited and nervous and trembling, and then I can look past the bride and the groom, and I can see the parents sitting there. And, uh, you know, they're just they're crying. And this is like such an important moment in their lives. And then, you know, we get to that part of the service where I ask the father of the bride, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And just the, the moment, the hesitation, the... The, the thoughts turning in the dad's mind, well, I'm not sure I want to give my daughter to this guy, you know, like, whoa, this is a big step, this is a big moment, and he says, well, her mother and I do, and it's sort of like this releasing of his daughter to this goon, you know, I mean, it's just like moving on to the, to the next step, and then, you know, we, we go through the service, and we come to that point that I consider the high point of any wedding ceremony, it's the repeating of the bride and groom together, their vows to one another in the presence of God, in the presence of their family and their friends that are gathered, where they make a vow to love till death do they part. And I know that there's probably a little bit of, uh, you know, turning of the brain there for the bride and groom as they think about the seriousness of what they're doing. And maybe a couple days later on their honeymoon, you know, the bride looks across at her husband. The husband over breakfast looks at his new wife and they go, how did we end up here? We barely know each other. This is crazy. I think that sort of scenario is the same context of the scripture passage I like to look at today in Deuteronomy 6. And if you will, I think that Moses... Uh, the great founder of Israel, led the children through the wilderness, he's kind of like the father of the bride. He's the dad. And Israel's like the, the bridal couple, the husband and the wife. And at this point in the story in Deuteronomy, the nation of Israel has marched through the wilderness and they're now right on the eastern shore of the Jordan River. And they're about to cross the river into the promised land. And Moses doesn't get to go. He's old, he's about to die, and now he is like giving his last sort of um, pep talk, uh, passing on the legacy with the hope, like the father of the bride, the hope, you know, that they'll get it. Like when you sent your first child off to college, you know, are they ready? Of course they're not ready, but here you go. It's that moment at the river's edge where Moses is going to hand off leadership to Joshua and send them on. It's a moment of truth. And their moment of truth is instructive for our moment of truth today. 
as people, as families, as the River Church. So if you have a Bible, look at Deuteronomy 6. I'm going to read part of it for you. Foundational, central passage as Moses speaks to the nation before he departs. Moses says, these are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel, and, um, hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of our ancestors, promised to you. Moses' speech, it follows Deuteronomy 5, where, again, we see the recounting of the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses to the nation of Israel to shape them as a community. In this speech, words like observe, verse 1, fear, verse 2, keep, verse 2, hear, verse 3, observe, verse 3. In other words, I think what Moses is saying to the children at this point on the river's edge, pay attention. This is an important moment. Open up your ears, sit up, be attentive. And you notice the so that, so that's, so that you may enjoy long life, so that you, so it may go well with you, so that you may increase greatly. The duration of life, the quality of life, the expansion of life. Moses wants them to get it. He presses upon them. Really what is happening here, and it's been true throughout the scriptures, Here is a community that's being shaped by God so that they may experience flourishing in their lives. Ever since Genesis 3 and the fall and the disobedience and the corruption and the infection that has gotten into the system that has affected all of us, God has been about a restoration project. He is all about making all things new And he always wants to find a group of people that he can shape and form to be the leaders in that restoration. It was their call on the Jordan River. It's our call today as the river. And really, from the beginning, God shapes a community not just for their own flourishing, but for the good of the whole world. God founded Israel He launched the church always for the good of the world. We are given so that we can give it away. Now, I want to make an observation about this, first of all. You know, Israel could never do it. They they never could. And confession, obvious, I've never been able to do this. The Ten Commandments, you know, it's just like, this is not about pressing down gritting our teeth, saying, I'm going to do better this year. This time I'm really going to get it right. I'm not going to do that anymore. No, that's not really what Moses is saying. And another observation is 
He says in verse 2, this is for you, it's for your children, and it's for their children after them. The story of God is always looking into the future to the next generation. We always lean forward. In fact, in verse 20 of chapter 6, Moses says, hey, later when you're in the promised land and when your children ask you, hey, what gives? What is this faith thing all about? What, what does your relationship with Jesus mean? Why do you do this church thing? When they ask you, tell them the story of how I set you free when you were slaves in Egypt. And the reality is, our children are always asking questions, even if they don't articulate it with their lips. Our neighbors are always wondering, always watching. The world right now is wondering and watching. What does this thing really mean? And Moses says, tell them the story. Our life is a story. Our story is our life, the way we just live out there. So Moses is speaking to the whole community, not just the parents. And what he's saying is this. There's only one January 7th, 2018. This is the only time we get to say, today is January 7th. This is our only 2018. And I always like to talk with Matt and Tommy when we think about student ministries. You know, for teachers or for youth pastors or small group leaders, you have students come through the ministry. And you think, oh, here's another freshman class. And sometimes it's easy to kind of go through the motions, you know, oh, yeah, another class. And I always think, wait a minute. This is the only freshman year this kid is ever going to have. They're only going to be a senior once. So we don't get to mail it in. It's like, pay attention, Moses says. So he now gets to the heart of the matter. And in verse 4 and verse 5, Moses kind of gives them the core. Listen to what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. You know that as the great commandment. Hear, O Israel, love God. It's simple, really. Listen and love. It's a commandment. The first word there in verse 4 is the imperative of the verb to hear. In Hebrew, Shema. And for Israel, this is known as the great Shema. The prayer that they prayed when they woke up and before they went to bed. The prayer that they prayed at the beginning of every worship service. It's incorporated into the scripture memory. The very first verse that a young Jewish child would remember was the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Love him with your heart, your soul, your strength. It was core. It was, their, it was their faith declaration. It was on their lips and on their hearts every day. Jesus grew up saying the Shema. I wonder if these two verses are the two most important verses in the Bible. And you'll 
note that Jesus actually talked about the Shema three times. He talked about it in Matthew and Mark and Luke. And there was a smart guy, a, an attorney, a legal expert in the law, and he kind of wanted to test Jesus and see where his teaching was leading and asked him, Jesus, which of the commands is the most important? And the answer really for Jesus was obvious. He'd been saying it his whole life. It was core and central to his faith. He says in Mark 12, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And then Jesus goes on to say, the second is this. Coming from Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus says this, there is no commandment greater than these. Jesus amends the Shema and says, yes, love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself. Here's the spiritual center to the faith for Israel and the faith for us that follow Jesus. Love God, love people. Love God and love people. It's a command. But in reality, it's an invitation. It's an invitation to us. An invitation to listen and to love. Jesus is saying, if you want to be a spiritually formed people that help the world flourish, then give your attention to listening and to loving. Simple, but really very, very difficult. The rabbis taught that when you recited the Shema, you were saying, Yahweh, God, I take on the yoke of your kingdom forever. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, I invite you, because my spirit is gentle and I'm humble, I invite you to take on my yoke. Jesus says, yeah, take on the yoke of my kingdom forever. And what is that yoke? It's to learn how to love him, learn how to follow him, and then let that flow through you and love other people. Love God and love other people. That's really what the river is all about. It's as simple as that. It's let God love you, love him in return. Let other people love you and then pass that love on to other people. That's part of like, why we do what we do in the generations. We know each other, we relate to one another, we're in each other's homes, we, we track with each other, we hang in there when there's tough stuff. And so we thought it'd be fun to hear from a couple of the people in our church that have received a lot, but have given a lot. In fact, I have a lot of admiration for Hunter Walsh and for Lindsey Britt. I want to have them come on up here. And uh, yeah, we're going to have them... We asked them if they would just take a moment to reflect on uh, 
What's this been like for them to be part of this community of faith and who's invested in them and how they've had a chance to give it away? Hunter, Lindsay, thank you so much for being here. This is, this is, I mean, it's not easy to stand up in front of this group. So take a deep breath. Who's going first? He's got it. Come on, Hunter. Oh, you want to check your text? Sure. You can do that. No, I, I just tell you, Hunter. What's it like growing up at the river, being part of this community, the high school ministry, being part of Hume Lake and those sort of things? What, what difference has that made for you in your life? Um, well, the one thing that's been most important in my life, and it's given me like a strong foundation in all my friendships that I've made throughout my life, um, and I feel that's pushed me to become the man that I am today. Um, surround myself with probably the closest knitted guys that I have since, I don't know, since I was five or six years old. And just everything that I do, I just kind of reflect back and think, like, would I be creating a positive impact on the people around me? And would this, would they look highly upon what I do um, with each and every action? And kind of surrounded myself with the leaders that I've had growing up through Rush and Hume Lake, um, being Julian, George, and Bryant, um, that they've kind of just pushed me to become not only a better follower of Christ, but to be a better leader and a gentleman. Um, and that was our three models that we pushed, was be a leader, be a gentleman, and be a follower of Jesus. Wow. Um, and better enough, that kind of pushed me as I'm a freshman now in college, um, Rush of Fraternity, and... I think it was kind of funny how three of our mottos in my fraternity is, it's called SLAG, which is scholars, leaders, athlete, and gentlemen. Um, so it kind of just goes hand in hand that I was fortunate enough to be tied to such a great foundation that it kind of pushed me through into my future. So, so good. Thank you, Hunter. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lindsay. Um, yeah, like what Hunter said too, I... I have, like, the best friends ever, and I met a lot of them my first year at Hume Lake was in seventh grade, and I went every year after that. It was just the best experience in the world, and Rush, too, was so incredible because those people who were there, they didn't have to be there. They weren't required. They weren't really getting much, or they were getting stuff out of it, but it wasn't required. They weren't getting hours. They weren't getting paid, nothing like that, and those people just loved on us every single week. And I had Tara and Lauren, they were like the best ever, and they cared so much too. And every week, they were always there, they worked full time, they both had their own families, they were crazy busy with a ton of other stuff, but they still made time for us. And I think as I'm like getting older and realizing how much that really means, and just time and how you were saying, Bill, like listening and being there, is so important and it's such a simple thing but it really is kind of hard to do sometimes and they were just such great examples of that to me and it was so fun because senior year um, at Hume Lake Matt told us and he's like okay we need leaders for junior high I expect you guys to do it and AJ too we both um, did Tide and it was the coolest thing ever and just pouring the love that Tara and Lauren poured into me and being able to love other kids like Amanda um, and to that was the coolest thing. And it's just such an incredible experience. So I'd encourage any of you to do it. But it just really helped me in my walk with God, too. 
and um, I'm a freshman in college, like Hunter, and it's really scary to go out. And like you're saying, you're never really ready to go to college, but it's so assuring and it's so nice to know that you have a family here. And Tara and Lauren still contact us and we had meetings over break and they sent us letters and packages and it just really means so much. And yeah, they're the best. <laughs> stay here, stay here. Not great. Hunter, you didn't need a prop, man. You are good. That was, yeah, Lindsay, thank you so much. Where's Matt? Matt, will you come up here and pray for these two? You know, uh, I love what you said, Lindsay. You, you're, you're away, but you're not away. This is your home. This is your family. And uh, we love you guys and AJ and other, you know. So, Matt, can you pray for these two? But also pray for just, I don't know, our, our students and, and uh, yeah. Awesome, you guys. Uh, join us in prayer. Father, thank you for Hunter and Lindsay, uh, God, and just the body of people that they represent collectively. Uh, all the students who have come through the River family are now are off um, in their own campuses, God, and, and pursuing you as they're pursuing uh, their academic studies. Help them to, to listen well, uh, to remember the community of faith that has shaped them and formed them. God, by your spirit, so continue to guide them, um, direct their steps. May they continue to love Jesus well and love others well. So thank you for Hunter and Lindsay, for their testimony, may, and thank you for the way that they have shaped us to be better followers of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Thanks, man. So good, and uh, that was not intended to be an advertisement for Tide and Rush leaders or Hume Lake leaders. Um, it, was, it was intended to just demonstrate the power of being a family, to be in a community that is shaped, molded by Jesus to pass on this love to other people, particularly younger people. But when we think about our role as parents or we think about our role as friends, we think about our role as supervisors at work, or when we consider what it means to be a neighbor in our communities. The Shema, the great commandment, amended by Jesus. Love God with everything you have, and then love your neighbor. This is a powerful directive for us. So when, whenever we, we wonder, you know, what is this thing about? What, what am I supposed to do as a Christian, when you hear sort of difficult narratives out there about the church or about what it means to be a Christian, bring it back to the Shema, amended by Jesus. Scott McKnight called this the Jesus Creed. And maybe even put the Jesus Creed on a note card and begin the practice of saying it every day. Going to learn how to love you, God, and I'm going to learn how to love others well, too. So think about this. Moses goes on to say, here, let's make this a little bit practical. How do we cultivate this environment, this legacy of transformation? In verse 6, it tells us, these commands that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Love starts with me. Notice what it says? These commandments I give you today are to be on your 
hearts. This whole thing about love always starts with us. And maybe for some of us, one of the most difficult parts of loving other people is that we have a very difficult time loving ourselves. Receiving that love, it starts with me. But he also said, put the law of God in and on your hearts. It not only starts with me, but love starts in me. Put the law deep inside, not just on stone tablets out there. This law is not external. But Jesus invites us by the Holy Spirit to receive him into our lives, to let that love penetrate deep, deep down into our hearts. The great apostle John, he said in 1 John, he said, we love because he first loved us. We're able to love as we receive God's love for us. Do you feel deeply loved? Wow, how we need that today. To hear the Father say, you are my beloved child. And in you, I'm well pleased. We hear so many other words coming from God in our heads. You're not good enough. You don't measure up. You don't keep the commands. And Jesus says, no, no. I've adopted you. You're my beloved. I love you deeply. I only love you, but I like you. I like to be with you. This really is what it means to abide. To just rest in him. See, we're... We're activists. We want to get it out there. We want to change the world. We want to get our kids to get it right. But it's got to go in us before it grows through us. That's where we got to start. And then notice what he says in verse 7. He says, impress these things on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down. And when you get up, Moses here is using what's called the double merism. In other words, when you um, sit and when you stand. And when you lie down and when you get up. What he's really saying is that it's everything in between those as well. In other words, what Moses is saying is learn how to love God and love people everywhere. This is not just a Sunday morning thing or something when we're having our quiet time. No, what Moses is encouraging the people of God Jesus follows him in saying, this is something that's, that's going to transform our lives so that everywhere we go, the fragrance of Jesus follows into our schools, into our workplaces, throughout our neighborhoods. Our world desperately needs to see that central to the church of Jesus Christ are people that have received his love and just want to give it away. If you ever wonder what the Bible's about, if a passage is confusing, if you go, I'm not sure I get this Christianity thing or following Jesus, hey, just start. It means I get the opportunity to love the person right in front of me. I get to love them. In this moment, I get to love that person. Oh, man. That's what our world needs today. And then the last thing, I find it really interesting, verse 8. 
Tie these commandments as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. For Israel, this were called the Tephilim, and maybe you've seen pictures, you know, of little boxes strapped to someone's hand. They had a little, little bit of the Torah in there, and a box on the forehead, just taking this verse literally, that I'm going to have it right between my eyes so I can't miss it, so I'm reminded all the time. They're called phylacteries in the New Testament. And then the mezuzah, this was this little metal piece that was, that was nailed to the, to the doorpost. So when you're going in and going out, you could touch it and be reminded of what was central. I'm going to love God, and Jesus says, and love your neighbor as well. I think how we apply this is we want to arrange our physical world in such a way that we're reminded of the love of Jesus. Now, in the wedding ceremony, we get to that point after the vows where the couple exchanges rings. And from that point on, they wear a wedding ring as a physical reminder of who I'm committed to. I'm taken. I'm all in with my wife. That's sort of what Moses might be talking about here. Maybe, maybe it is um, taking the great Shema with Jesus' amendment. Love God and love your neighbor. And just putting it on a card. Keeping it in your car. Putting it in a place where you'll see it regularly. Memorize it. On waking up each morning, repeat that. The thing that we have in our mind, in the front of our brains. But you know, one of the most powerful illustrations is when we're all in with our bodies. You know, Jesus did that. And in a moment, we're going to come to the table. And we think about the table, Jesus on his last night, before he went to the cross, he had his close associates around him. And he took a loaf of bread. And he broke it to symbolize the fact that in a few hours, he was going to have his body broken on the cross. And then he took a cup of wine and he held it up and he said, this, this is the blood of the new covenant. This, this is my blood, which is going to be shed for you for the remission of sins. The death of Jesus on the cross is God's eternal statement that you are loved, that you are worth it, that you are part of his dearly beloved and so, yes, when we come to this table, we come with a sense of this is really the pathway to our salvation and allowing us the forgiveness of our sins. But today, I want it to be a reminder of God's love. This is a table of love. In fact, this table used to be called the love feast because that's where the followers of Jesus would gather and eat and drink and and share prayer requests and burdens and love each other. It's a little bit like grounded groups around dinner. You know, it's like, it's a love feast. We're loving on each other. 
and it changed the first century. Look at how those people love one another. So when you come, Jesus says, I want you to take this and eat it. Take this and drink it in remembrance of me. That's what the Tefillin and the mezuzah were all about. Be reminded, be reminded. What do you need in your life to be reminded? And the church for centuries has come to this table. It's a weird thing. This is a weird thing that we do. We get out of our chairs and we walk up here and we take a piece of bread and dip it in grape juice. It's just weird. But it's supposed to remind us of something that's far deeper and not weird at all, that God would love us.